Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey, friends, you know that I love to present a wide diversity of perspectives on this show. So today I'm thrilled to have a guest from South Africa. Alice grew up consuming a lot of television, movies, and other media, which informed her views about what, quote, normal sexuality and relationships look like. Today, she's working to untangle a lot of those old beliefs while asking questions like, am I queer enough to call myself queer? Before we get started, I want to note that there is some extraneous noise in this interview. I hope you'll find the conversation so interesting that you won't even notice it. So let's get to it. Alice is a 23-year-old cisgender female. She describes herself as white and single. She's not sure how to define her sexual orientation yet, though she says it's probably not straight. And she's probably monogamous, but clarified, I'm only 23 years old, so who knows? She grew up in South Africa and describes her body as thin. I am so pleased to introduce Alice. Alice, I'm thrilled to have you here with me today. First of all, I love to get as much diversity on this podcast as possible, and I've never spoken to anyone from South Africa. So this is very exciting. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Honored to be your first South African guest. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So the first question I ask everyone is, what is your first memory of sexual desire? Um... My first memory of sexual desire was when I was, and I mean, there may have been other instances, but this is the only memory that comes to mind. It was when I was 21 mm-hmm. and um, it was with the first person that I had fallen in love with. Um, and before that, for a very long time, I wondered if I was asexual mm-hmm. um, because I didn't um Sex. I had crushes. I looked at people and thought, wow, you're so good looking. And like, I would love to date you, but like, it definitely wasn't, I want to have sex with you. Mm-hmm. It was just like, I would like to be around you and maybe date you and do cute things. But like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so when I did fall for this person, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not asexual. I really, really want to sleep with you. Yeah. <laughs> When you were younger, did you discover masturbation at some point? 
Um, so when I was going through puberty, there was definitely like a whole point of oh, what's going on down there? Like everything's changing. Yeah. And so I like touched, but it wasn't, it never felt like masturbation because it wasn't very pleasing. It was just like, this is weird. It's different. Mm. Um, you know, why am I growing hair? And like, why does it all feel different? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then when I was in a little bit older in high school, um, you know, I started a few times, I think I like tried to watch porn and I like tried to masturbate, but it's something that I just got bored of really quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once I reached university, which felt like a very sexually liberated space, I was like, mm, maybe I need to try harder, <laughs> like be better at this. <laughs> and it, it's still, I mean, to this day, like it's still something that I struggle to do on my own. So that's an interesting word to use. You struggle to do it on your own. That, that sounds to me like it implies you think you're supposed to, or you think that you should. Is there some feeling of that for you? Um, definitely not when I was younger. But now that I'm older, I've consumed a lot of media and I'm around people who kind of mm-hmm. have been able to, you know, mm-hmm. why rely on someone else when you can please yourself? And <laughs> yeah. and I mean, I love seeing it in the media. Like I love watching like The Bold Type or um, other shows, you know, where women have their vibrators and they, you know, don't need a man and they can finish themselves off. But it's completely unrelatable to me. I mean, it's not... I love watching our content. I think it's great, but it's it's unimaginable to me because it just doesn't seem to be as great for, for me as it seems to be for them. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, so I would like to. I mean, I would like to be that person. That is, you know, I think it would be a good step to take. Mm-hmm. I love The Bold Type. It's one of my favorite shows, <laughs> and I'm so sad it's ending. <laughs> uh, I, I'm busy watching season four now. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, so... You mentioned that you thought that you were asexual for a long time. And that makes a lot of sense to me. If you weren't having these like hormonal responses to people that were, I want to sleep with you, I want to touch you. Mm-hmm. And you're also not feeling that significant urge to touch your own body, then that, you know, it makes sense that asexuality would be one of the things you were thinking about. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how that sat with you. Um, I think I had a very limited idea of what it meant to be asexual for a while. Um, so I thought that like, if I'm asexual, I'm not allowed to want to date people and I'm not allowed to want to kiss people. And, you know, I did kiss people and I enjoyed it, Mm -hmm. but I just didn't have any urge to do more than that. And yeah, so it's definitely something I thought about, but I didn't know if I fitted in well enough to that specific label. So if I understand you correctly, there was some question for you that if I enjoy kissing people, then that is not asexual enough Hmm. to consider myself asexual. Is that correct? Yes. And also, um, so I also only knew what asexual was post adult, like post 18. I only learned about it in university. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that you could be asexual when I was in high school. Um, and something that I just re- remembered that I forgot about when I spoke about my first sexual experience is that when I was 18, I hooked up with a guy at a festival and he went down on me in his car. And that was actually my first sexual experience. And it was pleasing, but I was drunk. So 
I did, I went on a date with him a few weeks later, sober, and I did not enjoy it at all. And he kissed me and I found it really repulsive. Um, But when I was drunk, I enjoyed that experience. So I think that's also partly why I didn't, like asexual is definitely something that like went through my head, but it didn't stick because maybe because I'd had that one sexual experience. And prior to that, I didn't even know what it was. Mm-hmm. So um, you bring up a great point, which is that a lot of people, including people who listen to this podcast, may not know what asexuality is. Mm-hmm. And um, it is basically the lack of significant desire for sexual encounters. But it, just like everything else in sexuality, exists on a spectrum. Yeah. So you may have some desires, but not others. You may enjoy kissing. You may enjoy mm-hmm. cuddling. You may even enjoy having somebody go down on you, but you're not interested in penetrative sex or uh, sex that will lead to an orgasm, however that may look for you. It can be all over the map. And you get to define for yourself what it is. You don't have to be a certain thing in order to qualify for the label. Yeah. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's an, something that I only learned much later because I definitely felt for a long time that I had to fit very neatly into a box to qualify for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get that. We, we try to put a lot of boxes around a lot of things that, that don't need boxes. Yeah. Especially sexualities. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So what about your childhood home? What did you hear from your parents or from in school? Or you mentioned that you weren't part of a religious family, but that you did have some religious, uh, you were in some religious environments. Um, So what did you learn in any of those places about sex or female sexuality? The family was my mom, my dad, my my nuclear family, my brother. My parents got divorced when I was eight years old. And I lived between my mom's house and my dad's house, like 50-50. My mom never really spoke to me about sex. Um, I don't even think she gave us a sex talk, but I always just knew. I, I never felt like I was in a space of like not understanding what sex was or not understanding like how babies came to be. I think if I asked her a question, she would answer me very literally. You know, this is what happens. This is the process. But she never spoke about things like female pleasure or that sort of thing. But um, I don't remember her ever talking about sex, but I just remember knowing. And I think we had books about the anatomy of human bodies. I remember looking through a book that had like lots of pictures of naked people and like different shapes and sizes and stuff. It wasn't a house where I was sort of, she didn't delve into information too much information she never spoke about her own sex life my dad on the other hand like wouldn't mention any of it because he would just get way too awkward he didn't know how to talk Mm. about (laughs) any of that stuff we just assumed we knew and we were fine um (laughs) I've never really had a conversation about sex with any of my family members definitely not my brother I mean I was always exposed to sex through the media I saw sex I knew what was happening when I watched TV. I knew like the kissing and then like going into bed and stuff. I knew that that was sex. Were there specific things that you saw in media that were most interesting to you or that you sort of uh, hooked into more intently? Hmm. I definitely related very much to the 
stereotypical, um, most common, especially like for when I was a child, there wasn't much diversity in the types of couples you saw on screen. It was a very attractive white person and a very attractive, I mean, like <laughs> two very attractive yeah. heterosexual people, you know, yeah. have some drawn out maybe conflict or turmoil and then they pursue a relationship together. And I read a lot of young adult novels that followed something similar. And it's probably, I think, what I internalized my life would look like. I very much, thanks to the media, thought that I would have a boyfriend and it would be like this person who would pursue me and I would do nothing to like find this person. They would just come <laughs> find me and, um, you know, live happily ever after. Um, so. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it it would be really interesting and I think we'll see it with younger kids to see the different, perhaps, expectations or identities I would have had if I'd seen more diversity on screen because that's what I saw on screen and it was something I could relate to. I still am attracted to men, so, like, I still thought that that was what was normal and what I would have (laughs) and what I aspired to. (laughs) Yeah, sure. And what about your, you said your parents divorced when, when you were about eight, when they were still together, did you see any sort of affection or um, loving touch between the two of them? Can't remember. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of very vivid memories of them from before the divorce. I like vaguely remember them fighting because obviously, like, mm-hmm. the divorce happens because obviously there's some conflict going on there. <laughs> and I do remember um, my, my dad using, like, a pet name for my mom. And that stopped after the divorce. Mm-hmm. So that's, like, one memory I have is, you know, is it was a name that no one else used for her. I guess a very, very vague memory I have is um, in the mornings, me and my brother and my mom and my dad just all lie in bed together like on like a Saturday or Sunday morning when we didn't have to go to school. So I guess that mm-hmm. would be, but that in terms of them being affectionate together on the, them not being affectionate together. My mom used to regularly sleep in a different bed. Um, but that's also because she had mm-hmm. major sleep problems. And I used to, when I was very small, like, climb into I'd sometimes get scared and I would go to my parents room to try climb into bed and when I did that my mom would get up and leave because she just couldn't handle sleeping with <laughs> three people in the bed <laughs> oh <laughs> um but yeah that's sort of the some of the memories that I can bring up after they divorced mm-hmm. did either of them date did you see them with other partners my mom never dated um, after that, That, uh, as far as I was aware. I mean, I know now she went on like one or two de- like blind dates or dates to people she didn't know, but she didn't enjoy them. Mm-hmm. My dad almost immediately got into a relationship with someone else, um, and that was, lasted about a year, I think. And then he got into a long-term relationship about a year later with someone who he was with for 10 years. And did you see them being affectionate together? I'm sure. I mean, I think I didn't like it because I um, <laughs> was for a while, like, kind of angry. Like, and then, like, why is this other woman coming into our lives? Um, but, yeah, definitely. I mean, with his his partner who he was with for 10 years, like, 
he was crazy about her, so they would definitely were affectionate mm-hmm. in front. And they didn't kiss in front of me, and I think that was just unless it was like a peck, like hello, but like there was no making out in front of me, and I think that was just respect for like <laughs> not wanting to make me feel sure. uncomfortable. <laughs> Well, there are definitely appropriate boundaries. (laughs) Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality, but you're not quite sure how to proceed? Are you wondering if your desires are normal? Are you afraid you'll have to blow up your existing relationship to have the kind of sex you want? Or maybe you're hearing these conversations every week and thinking, I understand what she's talking about. I just don't know how to do it in my life. Well, that's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. I promise that your sexuality is not shameful, and together we'll help you see yourself, your needs, and your desires without judgment. Now, I'm not going to tell you what you should do or feed you answers. That's not what coaching is about. Instead, I'm going to walk with you in the process of discovering what's right for you in a way that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and the pace that's right for your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find the right pace for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like learning how to talk about your sexual desires with current or future partners, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, questioning if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM or consensual non-monogamy, Exploring sexuality for later-in-life virgins, recovering from infidelity, and so much more. I believe this work is deeply important and should be available to every woman, regardless of your financial situation. That is why I now offer variable pricing. Whether you're experiencing financial challenges, are financially stable, or have some extra to pay it forward, there's an option for you. And I give the same level of care and support to you, regardless of the pricing level you choose. For more information and to schedule a discovery call, visit www.leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Now let's get back to the conversation. Did you get any sort of sex education in school? I know you mentioned that you went to Christian schools. Mm. So it was public school, but the public school still had, I mean, it's technically against the law. Like the schools shouldn't be religious because there are people coming in from all kinds of religion. 
but mm-hmm. the like hymns were all religious. It was worse in primary school. The primary schools were very religious. In high school, it was just like some religious prayers and hymns during assemblies. But um, that was kind of it wasn't too it wasn't infiltrated too much. So sex education. My first memory of sex education was in um, my grade eight, which I would was the year I turned thirteen. We were told about a bunch of STDs. I remember them giving us like a <laughs> table with like photos of like terrible STDs and then like all the symptoms listed out. Yeah. Um, and I was, yeah, like, this is what happens. <laughs> oh my gosh, actually, now I'm thinking back, the sexual education was so bad. So we were taught how to put on a condom and we were taught about birth control. Like, she came in with like a box of like, all the different, like lots of condoms and she, like she had a banana, this is the teacher, and put the condom mm-hmm. onto a banana. And then there was like, you know, this is like the birth control pole. And like, then there was also like, I remember a table listing other birth control pull, like forms, like the injection. Um, and then very much talked a lot about different diseases. HIV and AIDS is something that we get taught about a lot, which is important because it's, very um it's the 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 cases are very high in south africa Mm -hmm. um but then i do remember that same year watching a movie (laughs) about in this same like sex education it was called life orientation so it was a subject where you're meant to like learn about life and that's where they taught us sex education but and in that class we watched a movie about an american school where all of these girls got pregnant in high school and there was like a daycare at the high school and it was like the cool thing to do was to get pregnant in high school (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) and i think it was meant to like i don't know like tell us that like girls get pregnant for fun don't be one of these girls (laughs) (laughs) and that americans are hedonists (laughs) it was very bad strange so that's my memory of sex education (laughs) it sounds like um your sex education was very similar to what we experience here in the states which is that it's disease prevention and pregnancy prevention Mm -hmm. but really almost nothing about having a healthy sexual experience, having healthy sexual communication, having any kind of communication whatsoever with a partner. None of that. We didn't know what consent was. Like I only really learned about what real consent was in university. In my first year at university, there were huge protests against rape culture. And, you know, so many people I knew because I was in my first year and a lot of people I knew were in first year had this like, mind-blowing experience where they're like holy shit that wasn't consent like that experience i had like mm-hmm. a year or two years ago or three years ago or whatever i was taken advantage of yeah and we had no idea we weren't taught that in school we didn't know like what real consent was we didn't know about communication female pleasure was absolutely not on the charts to discuss <laughs> like yeah did not learn any of that yeah it's uh it's disappointing to hear that that is true, not just here in the States, <laughs> that um, I don't mm-hmm. think that I've ever spoken to anyone, regardless of country, who actually got a real good, comprehensive sex education. Mm-hmm. 
And that's really sad because they like, they say, oh, here's the information. You have no go out into the world, but we're not actually prepared to have any kind of interaction, but we think we are. And so that just makes it all the worse. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I think there's so much room for improvement. And um, I know that the sex education um, curriculum has been revised since I was in school. I can't tell you if it's better or worse. But I know that um, they started teaching kids at a younger age because, I mean, so many kids are taken advantage of and they kind of need to know that, like, this is sex and shouldn't be happening to you (laughs) if you're 11 or 10 years old Um, because that's rape. But, yeah, anyway, Um, a lot of people were really angry. A lot of parents and stuff were really angry that, like, kids were getting getting Mm -hmm. taught this at a young age. Um, And I think that if you start teaching people about like female pleasure and stuff, they'd be like furious. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think like just teaching about consent would just be such an important thing. And communication yeah. um, is something we just weren't taught. I mean, I remember my idea of rape in school was like, you're walking down a dark alley and someone pulls you into the bushes yeah. and <laughs> that was yeah. it. Like I did not think that you would <laughs> needed to worry about the people around you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. A few minutes ago, you mentioned discovering porn. Um, what did you, th- how, well, first of all, how did you discover it and what did you think about it when you found it? Okay. So the first instance of porn was actually, it was more like, it, it was definitely not sex oriented and it was more like um, doing this because we're not allowed to and it's like a high risk activity and like let's not get caught and to contextualize that was with my best friend when I was 12 I think mm-hmm. and we had this one channel that was like a normal channel on TV during the day you watch like the news and the soapies and whatever and at about like midnight it would, it would play um, porn mm-hmm. and so we knew about this and then, like, one day when I was sleeping at her house, we decided to, like, go look at midnight. So we, like, woke up at midnight and went to the lounge. Of course. And, looked. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think I just was like, whoa, like, this is so weird. <laughs> um, and, I mean, kind of that's, that never really changed. Uh, my later exploration of porn was probably in high school. I don't know what year... But um, that would have been on my phone um, looking up, like, some free, problematic, um, very, like, <laughs> perky boobs and absolutely nobody here and, like, some man, like, th- jamming a woman. Like, yeah. And I think it was the same thing. Like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think this is for me. It was more curiosity than anything else mm-hmm. that led me there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know very little about the culture in South Africa. So can you talk some about what attitudes are about sex and about female sexuality in South Africa? Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe I don't I don't know this. So please correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe we should qualify this by saying we're talking about white South African culture as opposed to black South African culture. Yeah, I will say that, like, I definitely can't speak to Black South African culture. Um, there are so many cultures um, within South Africa, not just Black culture. There's Indian culture. There's, you know, lots of identities and 
communities and some are more conservative than others. Mm-hmm. Within white culture, there are still, I guess, variants, but mostly I would say that South Africans are more conservative than Americans. And I say this because I work with a lot of Americans and I've been on like Tinder Global and just um, people who seem a lot more liberated in their sexualities than South Africans are. But going into a university space, the culture there felt very sexually liberal to me in the sense that like people were very open about sharing their labels, about being openly trans, about having multiple sexual partners, um, being polyamorous or whatever. But that is an anomaly that would not speak to South Africa on the whole. Mm-hmm. Once you leave university, you can feel comfortable-ish being open in your sexuality like that if you are a minority in maybe Joburg, Cape Town, and certain parts of Durban. Anywhere else in the country, you would not feel safe telling someone you're trans. Um, I mean, I'm not saying you even feel safe in Cape Town or Joburg. I can't speak as a trans person. I'm not trans. But there will be communities within big cities where you can find your people and and you won't be able to find communities in smaller sounds. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, like, sex is had. Sex is had everywhere. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I think there's a lot of shaming towards women um, who are more sexual in smaller towns especially. So I grew up in a somewhat small town, but it's, I think, very conservative town. And there was a bar there that I used to go out to sometimes when I was home. And the generally, like, there'd be, like, labels for, like, the women who were out regularly and had regular sexual partners. And, you know, they weren't respected and they were mm-hmm. looked down upon and, you know, called horrible names, whereas the men would be there every weekend, sometimes even cheating on partners if they were in a monogamous relationship. And there was like a huge double standard there. So yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Are you ready for easy access to birth control? (laughs) Me too. That's why I'm so excited about Planned Parenthood Direct, Planned Parenthood's app. You can use the app to get birth control prescribed and mailed right to your home or sent to your pharmacy for pickup. You can also communicate directly with licensed Planned Parenthood doctors and nurses and learn about different types of birth control to figure out which one is right for you because we're all different. Insurance isn't required, and birth control starts at only $20 a pack. In some states, you can even get UTI treatment and emergency contraception through the app. You can download the Planned Parenthood Direct app from the App Store or Google Play Store. It's currently available in 39 states plus DC, and if it's not in your state yet, Sign up to be notified of new state launches on PlannedParenthoodDirect.org. Links are in the show notes. Accessible and affordable, convenient birth control is huge. So if you use birth control, download Planned Parenthood Direct today. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Kindra. Kindra is a self-care company that makes estrogen-free essentials to support people who experience the hormonal changes of menopause. Their best-selling product is a daily vaginal lotion that comes with a revolutionary reusable applicator and dramatically relieves vaginal dryness. This intimate lotion is formulated with skin-soothing humectants and critical vitamins like niacinamide that can improve the appearance of inflammation and rebuild moisture over time. Plus, after just three days of use, 80% of users said it feels like natural lubrication and reported improvement in discomfort during intimacy. So try out Kindra using code GOODGIRLS20 for 20% off your first purchase. That link and code are in the show notes on the app you're listening on right now. And please let me know. I'd love to hear how it works for you. So one of the things that you told me before we started recording is that you have had some questions about your orientation, your sexual orientation. Yeah. So can you talk some about that? What what are the feelings you have? What are the confusions you've had? And and sort of where have you ended up now? Okay. Um, so I mentioned earlier that I, for a while, I wondered if I was asexual. I wondered why casual sex is not something I really did for most of my life. Um, in my university digs, I was living with two people who for a while were both single and they both regularly had sexual partners. And I kind of felt like there was something wrong with me because I didn't want to do it. And I felt like I was a prude because when, you know, you're in that space and it's like, no, thanks. I don't want to like hook up with anyone. It's, so I would like sort of sit around and think like, why, why don't I want to do that? Why am I, I would often go out and I drank when I was a student um, because that was such a big part of the culture and I would go out get drunk kiss a boy and then not want to do anything else and what it led to for most people was like (laughs) more than that and you'd go home with each other and that wasn't the case for me so that's kind of where I started thinking of asexual Then when I was in my third year of university, when I was 21, I dated someone for about three months. We'd known each other since I was in my first year, but we never really spoke. He worked at the same bar that I worked at. And within a week of us like connecting, talking, having long conversations, we were dating and I just felt like this explosive chemistry. Like I'd it was really weird. Like I thought about him like constantly, like twenty four seven. So then I was like, maybe demisexual. But my understanding of demisexual was like it needs to start from a friendship. And I was like, well, that wasn't really a friendship. The chemistry was there instantly. I didn't have sex with him because um, because I felt like I needed to communicate more to him about the anxieties I had. And then towards the end of our very brief period of dating every time we like got close to having sex he didn't we didn't have a condom and like it was like a boundary I was absolutely not going to let him cross um and it felt like he was trying to push my boundaries Mm -hmm. um and then like soon after that we ended so 
But that experience told me that I wanted to have sex because I did want to have sex with him and I was sure of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, let's talk for a minute about demisexual because the definition that you gave, I found interesting that um, you think that you have to be friends first and demisexual, just like asexual, exists on a spectrum. It's going to be (laughs) different for everyone. Um, But my understanding of demisexuality is that there needs to be an emotional connection before there's a sexual connection. And an emotional connection can happen very quickly. It can happen in the space of an hour or an evening or three minutes if you have that kind of Mm -hmm. huge chemistry. But that Unless you have that connection, you're not going to go further than that. And so that to me still sounds like if demisexuality speaks to you as a potential label, <laughs> that's, that sounds to me like it falls within it. <laughs> yeah, so maybe. I mean, I definitely, definitely had a connection with him. Um, and I mean, connections are incredibly important to me. I, I I could never see myself wanting to even do anything with someone who I don't find interesting to talk to. Like if I don't like (laughs) the conversations we're having and um, how things are going, then I don't want to be in your space. I don't want to be in your house or like, I don't want (laughs) you in my space. (laughs) I'm the same Um, way. (laughs) Yeah. So that was one of them. And then, um, then another thing that I, I wondered if I felt like fell into the kind of um, bisexual realm was because when I was in high school, when I was about 15, I became friends with a girl who occupied a lot of headspace for me. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you know, until I met this guy in my third year, I'd never felt sexual attraction to anyone except that incident and when I was 18 where a guy went down on me um so this girl that I that occupied a lot of my headspace I definitely didn't think of it in a sexual way but I thought about her all the time and like she was a friend of mine and I would see her at school and we would have like laugh and have great conversations and stuff but when I was at home I would imagine conversations that I would have with her and I just like thought about her all the time Back then, being 14 or 15, um, being in a conservative town, being Mm -hmm. in a school where I did not know anyone who was gay, I was very concerned about this. I did not tell anyone, like least of all her. Um, But, you know, looking at at the time, I wondered, like, oh, my gosh, am I gay? Like, what's going on? I've never felt like this about any of my other friends. I've Mm -hmm. had a lot of female friends, and they've never occupied this much headspace. Um, and I mean, like, looking back, like, maybe I did have a crush on her. Like, it may have not been sexual. Like, maybe I am asexual, demisexual. I mean, I was, I was 15. Like, maybe (laughs) that wasn't, but, but I mean, I definitely, I loved being around her. I loved, and also something that I feel very strongly about is that I think that friendship and romance can exist very closely together. And that's something that's underrated by society. Mm But as someone who's been single for most of their adult life, my friends play such huge roles in my life to the point where like, I feel like I, I'm in love with them, but I know that I don't want 
relationship with them. Sure. You know, it's like, I love you so much that like my heart bursts and like, I love talking to you so much and like, it's so stimulating. So it might have been something like that. Um, but I just know that I can feel a lot more love for women than like society had told me was normal. Mm-hmm. Friends, let's talk about Patreon. It has been quite an evolution over the last two and a half years. For a long time, I took cuts from the episodes and put them on Patreon for people who financially supported the show. But by mid-2020, that no longer felt right, because I was hearing from listeners who said they wanted to hear the Patreon extras because the show was making such a difference in their lives, but they couldn't afford to donate. It really doesn't feel appropriate to withhold this material in exchange for monetary support. That's just not what I'm about. So from July 2020 through April 2021, I made all audio extras at Patreon free for everyone. And that has worked well. I've been pleased to see that my Patreon support didn't drop when you were supporting the show because you appreciate it rather than paying to get something in exchange. And now I'm evolving again. Instead of pulling clips out of the show for Patreon and keeping the main episode as close to 50 minutes as possible, I'm letting the conversations play out in full in the main episode. If my work is meaningful to you and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. If you have more than a few dollars, consider donating extra in honor of women who need this material, but aren't in a position to contribute. And I donate 10% of all Patreon contributions to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a contributor, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. You can find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And if your finances are tight, but you still want to support the show, I would love it if you would take a screenshot of this episode on your phone and post it on Instagram. Tag me in your post and I'll send you a personal thank you. Or send your favorite episode to a friend and invite them to chat about it with you. Use this show as a jumping off point to deepen your own conversations around intimacy and sex. Now, Let's get back to the conversation. So far, I've heard that a guy went down on you. And then in university, you had a relationship with a guy that was very intense, but never actually culminated in penis and vagina sex. Have you had intercourse with someone or have you had something that you, because I want to be careful in terms of gender to, to yeah. phrase this properly. Um, have you had sex with someone, what you would consider to be sex? Um, so this is like a big gray area in my yeah. own life. Um, and, and it and has been like an issue of, my, of 
insecurity because I felt like I was a like virgin. I mean, if that's the word you use, because I think sex can mean different things to different people, but I felt yes. like I was a virgin for far too long. So about seven months before I met the guy who was the first person who I fell in love with, I got drunk at a party and I and like the there's like a week before the university opens that in South Africa we call orientation week mm-hmm. and it's the week where first years are introduced to the university but there's a lot of parties I was in my third year so I went for that week so I got drunk and I lived about two kilometers off campus and I didn't have a car and I was drinking anyway the student town that we were in didn't have um, reliable taxi services. So a lot of people used to, if you walk in groups, it's fine. Or you would, um, people used to like drink and drive all the time. So anyway, I went out with this friend of mine and we went to this party and we were drinking and I connected with someone who I was friendly with and carried on drinking. And I had hooked up with this guy the year before, like I just kissed him. And so we started hooking up and then suddenly like it was really late and I couldn't find my housemates and, um, you know, I said, I want to go home. And he said he'd walk me home. So he did walk me home. And then like, it didn't cross my mind like that he would want anything more just because I know other guys that ever wanted anything more <laughs> and I was really drunk. Yeah. And when we got inside, he it was suddenly naked and I was like, whoa, mm. like, I don't want to have sex. I can't have sex. Like, I, mm-hmm. like, I was like, I like, don't, don't want that. Like, nothing had even happened, like, beforehand. And he was like, oh, well, I'm naked now. And then from there, my memory blacks out. And I have, like, visions of something happening, but I'm not sure if it did or if I dreamt it or not. But I do know that, like, the next day was really awful for me I could like barely move and I remember like needing to go get the birth control pill because I didn't Mm -hmm. remember what had happened and it didn't feel like a hangover it felt like I was like the worst day of my life Mm -hmm. like I just I remember that I was like lying in my bed and I was like I need to go get up and go get the birth control pill and then I walked to the lounge and my housemates weren't there neither of them were there and then I like fell asleep on the couch for like four hours and like I just couldn't get up so I don't know if like vagina mm-hmm. penis intercourse happened that night or not. Definitely wasn't consensual if it did happen. Then when I last year, so there was still an hour thing. Like I'm still kind of a virgin or I, I like still feel like a virgin. I'm still like, am I going to wait to like get into a relationship and like, what if I don't want that and stuff? <laughs> so last year, um, after our first wave in South Africa, our COVID came in waves. The cases dropped for about like four months. They were pretty low consistently. And I went on a few dates with this guy who was like ridiculously good looking. He was in the town that I was living in and had found me on Facebook. And I went on two dates with him. And the second time he came to my house and he went down on me for like a really long time but nothing further happened. And then that very night I went out and got drunk and had sex for, I guess the first time, um, consensually. And 
I mean, it was completely, it, it, even though I was drunk, it felt consensual. Mm-hmm. It felt like something I was very much like leading on. But looking back, I'm also like, maybe that wasn't the best decision. <laughs> so it was um, something you wanted but, in the moment, yeah. even if you look back mm-hmm. at it and you're like, maybe that wasn't so great. You, you chose it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I chose it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was your sole experience of consensual penis and vagina sex. Yeah. And to go back to your question about like, after that night that you blacked out, was I still a virgin? First of all, the whole idea of virginity is so archaic for exactly this reason. Yeah. If you are non-consensually penetrated, does that mean you're no longer a quote unquote virgin? I mean, and Mm-hmm. Do women who only have sex with other women never lose the term virgin because they've never been penetrated by a penis? Like it's, it's all so archaic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't think it, any of that actually matters. But also my feeling is that you quote unquote lose your virginity for lack of a better term when you have a consensual experience that you desire. So if you are penetrated by somebody non-consensually, that doesn't mean that you're no longer a virgin. It means that somebody violated. Yeah. I just want to say that virginity was not something important to me. It it actually felt like a weight on my shoulder. It was like, and I mean, I, I do think it's an archaic term, but the fact is that it felt like it hold, held weight, you know. Sure. When people spoke about the experiences and stuff, they would ask me, and I was very reluctant to disclose that I hadn't had, mm-hmm. like, many sexual partners because then I would be mm-hmm. called a virgin, and I didn't want – I didn't think it was a defining factor about me. I didn't think it was anything noteworthy or that, like – you know, I wasn't like I'm saving yeah. it for like marriage or the one. It was just like I waited and now I've waited. I felt like I'd waited too long. And it's you know, like I waited I get for it. like a moment that felt right and no moment ever yeah. felt right. <laughs> I get that so much because I was 25 the first time I had intercourse. Mm -hmm. And I spent that whole time thinking, what's wrong with me? Why is this not happening for me? And so at age 25, I got involved with a guy. And the thought in my head, and this is so sad to me now, but I didn't know any better then. The thought in my head was, I don't want to be the world's oldest living virgin. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to have sex with him, even though it was a terrible relationship, even though he was not kind to me. I had sex because I just didn't want to be an anomaly anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think that's partly why I had that experience last year where I slept with the guy when I was drunk. I think it was very much like, you know what? You're attractive. I'm enjoying this. I'm tired of being a virgin. Like I'm tired of yeah. not being able to. I mean, like you said, that what happened to me in in 2018, it wasn't consensual, and I didn't factor it I, as as like you know my first sexual experience. But I wanted something, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. So another thing you said when we were uh, before we started recording was you were trying to. Uh, give me an answer to the question, what is your sexual orientation? And you said, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. Or I don't like labels. Um, Mm -hmm. But maybe queer, except am I queer enough? 
And mm-hmm. so I'd love to have you talk about what that means to you. Yeah. Okay. So my first introduction into a space where I felt like I could even think about being queer was in university because when I was in school, like I said, I was in a pretty conservative town. Um, I knew one person who identified as lesbian and she had come out of the closet when she was 14, I think, and then went back into the closet for the rest of high school Mm. um, and dated men, even though she was very much gay and like went on in university to date women. So it wasn't an idea I even thought of. I was like, I'm attracted to men. I am heterosexual. (laughs) um, And then when I was in university, wow, like I I always thought of myself as pretty open-minded. So it was really exciting to be in a space where I was just learning so much. I had no idea about like, you could be pansexual and asexual and polyamorous and you know I I met so many people who had such diverse um, orientations and experiences and perceptions about the world and so that was really exciting but I also felt like I was too straight and narrow in the box to even entertain the idea of being like one of them like you know like (laughs) here comes Alice pretending like she's queer and like she went on a date with a guy and like never even had sex like how would she even know that she's queer like um that was the idea I got um in the university space is that I did not think that I had a space in there I supported friends who identified, but I felt like everyone was really, really sure about their sexual orientation. I was like, Mm. they knew the terminology. They could like talk about their experiences. They could talk in great detail about it. And I never felt like that. So, gosh, what was your question again? (laughs) (laughs) I was interested. (laughs) It's okay. I was interested in um, the thing you said about, I think I'm queer, but am I queer enough? Or I like the Mm -hmm. label queer, but am I queer enough to use it? Yeah. So I think that like, am I queer enough? It it stemmed from that. And it, I guess like there is a feeling of, and it still is of like being an imposter and trying to, take away from a space, you Mm -hmm. know, like a space of very marginalized people. Um, I didn't want to like come in when I had mostly heterosexual experiences and say, I'm one of you too, Mm -hmm. because it felt, and in a way still does feel like it's like being and not being helpful. Mm -hmm. My post-university experience has been, um, very much and learning that and seeing that you know you know there's no like gatekeeping or criteria to like you have to meet in order to be welcomed into queer spaces yeah um and I like thinking of it because it also opens up more opportunity because I think well I am heterosexual because I've only you know dates of men and therefore I can't even entertain that any like other idea whereas by saying like I'm queer you know I think I'd be open to potentially dating anyone yeah (laughs) like as someone who's not highly interested in sex I think I would much rather be with someone whose personality I really connect with and I don't think that gender has much to do with that it's really the person yeah that sounds very queer to me (laughs) 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 not that you need my permission but (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) So when you think about what an ideal relationship might look like for you, what do you think? Um, I think of someone who is kind, smart, interesting, someone who I can talk to for a long time, someone who I respect, someone who I find interesting. You know, I've only met a handful of people like that where there's just that undeniable kind of connection and that is something that I would like to have. There are other things that are important to make a relationship sustainable. I mean, if you meet someone like that, but they also, um, I'm pretty career ambitious. And maybe if they like wanted to like live with me and like <laughs> not do anything around the house and, you know, like that stuff could, as someone who uses dating apps now, I kind of think, hmm, I think I would enjoy someone who is also yeah. ambitious because like, I don't know what we talk about if like you're just playing xbox and i'm like working and like talking about my dreams yeah do you imagine that sex is a significant part of that relationship or a very minor part i think i'd be something i would want to discover with the person Mm -hmm. um because i don't know i've never been in a long-term relationship where i'm in love with someone and you know my best friend who's someone that i've really spoken to in depth about sexualities and sex and stuff and in a place where it didn't feel like there were a lot of people I could talk to she's had somewhat similar experiences to me and for her she she only had her first kiss when she was 21 she also felt like she was asexual for a long time she had no interest or desire in sex and when she fell in love with her current boyfriend who she's with now you know she's very into sex and they have a lot of sex and like she feels like she's very sexual so I don't know like I'm not saying that that would be the case for me it might be the opposite it might be somewhere in between but I can't speak to it because I think it's something that like I would only know once I'm there yeah, that's, that's really fair. Um, and I think it's really important to acknowledge that asexual people can and do have very successful long term romantic mm-hmm. relationships if they desire to. Mm-hmm. Um, the relative importance of sex is not the defining characteristic of any relationship. And so if you get into a relationship with someone who you're deeply in love with and you become extremely sexual with them. Awesome. (laughs) If you become deeply in love with somebody and you discover that sex is a very minor or non-existent part of your relationship. Awesome. As long as you're happy, that's, that is the only important fact. Yeah, I agree. And and the two of you can communicate about it so that you're both fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, something uh, something that has interested me in my friend group is talking to people who are asexual or demisexual who choose polyamorous mm-hmm. partners because their mm-hmm. polyamorous partners can then get their sexual needs fulfilled by other partners, but the asexual or demisexual person can have the real deep, intense, romantic or even if it's aromantic, you know, connected piece of the relationship without having to fulfill that person's sexual needs, which I think is a really 
interesting and positive solution for some people. And now it's time for the lowdown. The things we're dying to know, but would usually be too polite to ask any good girl. At this point, I would usually go into the Q&A portion, but I think a lot of these questions are not applicable. So I'm just going to ask you, what belief did you have about sex as a child or teenager that you wish you could go back and correct her on now? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, I think I would tell my teenage self not to worry about it. Mm. Um, not to think that it's like an important defining becoming of yourself moment that needs to be thought of. And I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to try and like picture what my teenage self thought about <laughs> sex. I thought of <laughs> Well, you are also, to be fair, you're still pretty close to those years. <laughs> like you don't have a ton yeah. of um, yeah. perspective on them yet. So yeah, that's fair. I mean, especially, you know, I can tell my teenage self a lot of things about a lot of other things in life, but sex is something that I'm not the most educated or experienced. Yeah. <laughs> All <laughs> so, right. You know, what my teenage self knew is not totally different to what I know now. I, my teenage self was very aware that she wanted to not do anything she wasn't comfortable mm-hmm. with, and I wouldn't go back and change my mind about that. Hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Alice, thank you so much. I really appreciate your openness and your willingness to to talk about some things that are not easy. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. (laughs) That's it for today. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. And I'm incredibly grateful for the financial support from Good Girls Talk About Sex community members at Patreon. If you'd like to support me in telling these stories and answering your questions, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. You can find show notes and show transcripts at www.goodgirlstalk.com. To ask a question about your sex life, your desires, or anything to do with female sexuality, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. And before we go, I want to remind you that the things you've probably heard about your sexuality are not true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. I work with women just like you to reflect their true sexual nature back to them without the judgment, shame, or fear that can get in the way of us seeing it for ourselves. 
As a coach and PJ Party hostess, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. I'm here to help you sink so deeply into your true sexuality that the version of yourself that was scared to speak up for her own needs feels like a mirage from another lifetime. Until next time, here's to your better sex life.